Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, No Rain Date listeners. Josh Popachak here, the host of No Rain Date and the publisher of Sock and Source, here with your local news roundup for the week ending July 31st, 2021. It's been a quieter week in Saucon Valley, and I don't think anybody's complaining, least of all myself, as I had a birthday to celebrate on Friday. I won't discuss the actual number. That's a closely guarded secret. But I want to thank everybody for the well wishes and thank Mother Nature for the beautiful weather that we enjoyed Friday. For some reason, even though my birthday is at the height of the dog days of summer, for lack of a better term, I often seem to get lucky with the weather, and it's that one day out of 20 where it's low humidity and the high is like 77 degrees and there's a breeze, so that lucky streak continued in 2021, and it was a fun birthday. I got a chance to check out the new sports bar in Fountain Hill, which we've reported on, game time. Beautiful place, great atmosphere, which combines the historic building with an outside sort of indoor outdoor seating area that wraps around the building quite a bit of seating i had the wings and they were excellent and they have of course a full bar a great draft beer list wine list and so on and you have the advantage of being able to sit out in a covered area but feel like you're outside and enjoy the view of broadway looking up into Fountain Hill. Fountain Hill doesn't have many establishments, so it's great to see uh, business flourishing once again, business owners investing in the community. I hope it's a trend that will continue because, hey, it's home to about 5,000 people, and there are really just a handful of eateries within the borough. Certainly the tax base could benefit from more businesses, but the quality of life is really the, the main concern and businesses improve our quality of life certainly with gas at 325 a gallon or more i know many of us don't want to be driving 20 miles maybe like we once did to just get a haircut or what have you people want things closer to home and i think that's partly the result of the covid pandemic too and there are plenty of vacant properties commercial properties in fountain hill so we'll continue to report on business developments in the hill and we hope you'll keep us posted Uh, you can always share an upcoming business opening with me by emailing me josh at sockandsource.com in hellertown restaurant news we published the results of our best italian restaurant poll and i don't think it was a big surprise the big winner of that poll was de mayo's which is a landmark eatery in hellertown It's been here since 1985. It's family owned by the DeMeo family, which includes mom, mama, and three daughters who have run it all those years. Son, Tony, helped run it in the earlier years and then branched out and opened his own 
restaurant in McCungy, which is called Geo, and I've eaten there, and it's also fantastic if you're out that way. I mentioned the three daughters. Coincidentally, there's one less now as part of the team, Anna DeMeo, who many of you know, uh, she's sort of off in the public face of the business. She has decided to relocate to Florida, and her last day at DeMeo's was actually the other day. So many people in the community were wishing her well, and I certainly do the same. It's an exciting new chapter, and I'm sure it's the thrill of a lifetime to be able to, to make that change and just you know go for it and try something totally new and different who hasn't dreamed about doing that at some point and and as we all know the restaurant business is very demanding you seldom get a vacation you have to you know cater to the public and it's pretty much a around the clock type business demeos is successful because they do it so well and they make it look easy but it's not easy at all. So I, I tip my hat to them, and I was certainly pleased that so many of you recognized their hard work that goes into their success. They're known for their bread, their, their fresh-baked bread, which is served uh, with pretty much every meal, um, goes with everything. Of course, their signature dishes, Italian classics like chicken marsala, eggplant parmesan, bruschetta, calamari i'm getting hungry just thinking about it check out our, our poll for more information about de Mayo's. and our second place winner by the way was echo domani in coopersburg which also received quite a few votes in the survey and third place went to roma pizza in hellertown which also received a number of votes congratulations to everyone in other restaurant news, we reported on a newer restaurant that's a little bit outside of our area, and we don't normally go that far outside the area, but I had a special request from somebody who lives in Hellertown who works at this restaurant and said, you've got to check it out. You've got to tell everybody how great it is. We need Saucon Source, you know, to spread the word in Saucon Valley. So I went up there the other day. It's called The Goat Pub and Pie and it's located on Main Street in Stockertown, which is one of those places that seems further away than it is. Really, it's an easy drive from Hellertown to Stockertown. You just get on 78, take it to 33, and get off at the Stockertown exit, and you're basically a minute away from there at that point. So it's maybe 20 to 25 minutes at the most from Hellertown. And it is fast becoming a favorite in that area. The GOAT stands for greatest of all time. And of course they have a GOAT logo. What they are known for in terms of food is a kind of pizza, which I wasn't familiar with. It's Detroit style pizza, which is related to Sicilian. It's a deep dish pizza and it's a square or rectangular shape because it's baked in these heavy-duty metal pans that are actually used in the automotive industry. And I guess at some point there was maybe a shortage of metal. This was around World War II, so when they were making pizza, they were reusing these old pans from the car factory. And so that was how the pizza took on its iconic shape. 
They actually imported these pans to the goat from Michigan, and they have seven or eight different varieties of Detroit-style pizza. They have, of course, your classic plain, but they also have specialty varieties, and we talk about that in the story. Their menu isn't huge, and I like that. I like the fact that one of the owners, Sam Ashton, who I sat down with, talked about wanting to have the best of something, which is why they don't have like 15 types of cheesesteaks. They have one cheesesteak. They have one burger. They have one chicken sandwich. Their focus is really on quality. They make their own dressings, their own sauces. They cut their own fries. I was there at three o'clock on a Friday and it looked more like maybe six o'clock on a Friday. It was already really busy. I said, are you normally this busy this early? And he, he said, this is actually slow. <laughs> so they're, they're taking off and that's great. Stockertown is a small town, smaller by quite a bit than Hellertown. So it's exciting for that area to have a new business. And it's exciting for the entire Lehigh Valley. The background for the goat, which Sam explained to me, goes back to Palmer Township where he worked as a bartender at Rip Van Winkles which was located inside Bardon Lanes. So that's in the Easton area. He met two of his co-owners, the Cossover brothers there. They did not initially, I guess, think they would one day team up and open their own restaurant, but the pandemic came along and all three of them found themselves out of work. So they thought that would be a good time to to take the plunge and certainly there was apprehension on their part because who opens a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic but I think being young and confident in in your abilities certainly helped and they ended up opening in late April of this year which was great timing because the state had just eased a lot of the restrictions on restaurants related to capacity and bar seating. Um, I think early April or mid-April is when people could once again sit at bars after over a year of not being able to do that. And the GOAT has a large bar in the center of the dining area, so that worked out well. They don't have outside seating. I'm sure they would like to, but um, there really isn't room because of the way the property is situated and it's basically right on the main street in Stockertown, so there's no room in front. The back is very narrow. It does have a parking lot, but you would almost have to uh, have the outside seating upstairs somehow. But I've thoroughly enjoyed my visit, and I'm looking forward to going back and trying some of their wonderful food and They also have some signature cocktails. They have a draft beer list that changes and just a very friendly atmosphere. So I think you'll you'll enjoy it if you visit. In local sports news, we want to send our congratulations to Saucon Valley wrestler Liam Skrvanich, who made us all Panther proud this past week, or rather about a week ago. He brought home a national Greco-Roman Wrestling Championship from Fargo, North Dakota. National Championship. And he's only about to be a junior at Saucon Valley. So he still has quite a career ahead of him as a Panther. He wrestles in the 160-pound class. 
and very polite, very well-mannered young man, according to our ace sports reporter, Reef, who interviewed him right after he got back from Fargo. We have a, a very in-depth story about his latest accomplishment and what's coming up for him next year at Saucon. So I know you'll want to check that out. Of course, the Olympics are going on, and all eyes, so to speak, are on Tokyo. We don't have any local uh, residents competing in the Olympics there, but of, but of course, the national conversation has turned towards the Olympics. And as usual, there have been controversies already. One of the biggest has involved American gymnast Simone Biles, who first withdrew from the group gymnastics competition and subsequently withdrew from the individual competition. She was citing mental health concerns and her ability to perform at the level that she needs to be at. And for some reason, this was viewed as unacceptable by a large segment of America. I don't know why that would surprise me because that seems to happen with almost everything anymore, but it did happen. To me, this issue sort of comes down to does the person's responsibility to their team in an athletic context matter more than their responsibility to themselves and to protect their own health. And I don't see how anything could trump the latter, which is the most important thing. I don't know who among these critics would put their team above their own health And we're talking about a sport which is one of the most dangerous sports. If you're not mentally focused on what you're doing in gymnastics, you could land wrong and be a paraplegic or quadriplegic for the rest of your life. I'm sure that was something that that factored into this decision. The, The term that's used is the twisties. And our teen columnist, James Townsend, used that term in his excellent opinion piece about the Simone Biles controversy. James always brings a great perspective, a youthful perspective to these issues. And I really appreciate the fact that he reached out to me and said, hey, I want to write about this. I see a lot of people criticizing somebody that's, you know, basically in my generation, he's 17 and she's 24. So they're a lot closer in age than, than I am to either of them. Or, or many of us are, and he really nailed it. I think he, he said it best when he said, you know, she doesn't have to prove anything to anyone at this point. She's won dozens of gold medals already, and the haters are going to, you know, do what they do. They're going to say she let us down, she let America down, and that's unfortunate, but at the same time, We have people like James that are speaking what I think is the truth, and those voices are going to continue to become louder as his generation grows up, enters the adult world, and doesn't devalue mental health the way it's been devalued by so many generations of Americans in the past. We're seeing that come to an end pretty rapidly, and sports is often where you start to see these things uh, initially. We saw it with Naomi Osaka just about a month ago, uh, withdrawing from the French Open because of her mental health concerns. This is serious stuff, and, and it bothers me that people act like it's frivolous somehow. 
your mental health is directly connected to your physical health. Imagine if, if Simone Biles had gone ahead and competed and injured herself horribly, and then the team lost the medal along with that. <laughs> I mean, what, what would be the point of that? Y- you know, bas- basically, it's like there's an expectation that she should commit career suicide or, you know, endanger her herself uh, just for the sake of keeping up appearances. I think that's ridiculous. I would encourage you to read James' opinion piece. It's excellent. In terms of police news, we reported on an uptick in scams related to unemployment compensation. We want you to be alert for those. The state police have been issuing many, many news releases about these identity theft scams in recent weeks and months. I get many of them through the Dublin barracks, which is in Bucks County. I think the other day, out of 10 news releases, six or seven had to do with unemployment scams. So they are rampant right now. If you get something in the mail, don't ignore it. Certainly, our story includes links to the Pennsylvania Department of Labor website and another website for pandemic unemployment assistance. You can report these issues to them and, of course, to your local or state law enforcement. I don't know how successful police are at investigating them. I I think it is difficult in many cases to determine who exactly is perpetrating these scam attempts, but hopefully the agencies have their own investigators that are on these cases and working double time because people are dealing with enough stuff right now. They don't need to be worrying about having their identity stolen by somebody in an unemployment scam. Finally, I wanted to just mention our latest olden days piece. Of course, this is not current news, but our olden days column is a chance to look back at local history and relate it to things that are going on in the area today. And I was drawn to a newspaper clipping from 1873 that talked about a panther that was on the prowl near Hellertown. Of course, the Saucon Valley mascot for many, many years has been the panther. I thought that was a cool connection to the past. Certainly, it's been decades or a century or more since there have been panthers on the prowl in the woods near Hellertown. And was it a black panther? Probably not. I read an article in researching this story that said there's no evidence that black panthers were ever in Pennsylvania. Not the four-legged type, anyway. So it was probably what we would normally call today a mountain lion. But at the time, in 1873, nobody thought it was cool that there was a panther. The farmers were up in arms because this large cat was raiding their hen houses and attacking other livestock. And that was their livelihood. So a large cat that is feeding on livestock could seriously hurt your ability to earn money in that era. There was sort of a group of hunters slash farmers that were going after this panther. And whether they ever got it, I don't know. I I did not find any follow-up story to that piece, but it's nice to think about it. And to think about all the wildlife that once existed around here is pretty amazing. We still have a fair amount, but we don't have those large 
mammals anymore, except for bears. But we'll continue to bring you the olden days, the best of yesteryear from Hellertown, Lower Saucon, Upper Saucon, and even into Bucks County. And maybe Fountain Hill, too. We have to find some uh, historical anecdotes from the hill. Well, that's it. That's our news roundup for the week ending July 31st, 2021. Have a great week. Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service, and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source, which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options, including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels, and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so, and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online, and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members, and thank you for considering becoming a future member. This week on No Rain Date, it's a pleasure of mine to welcome as our guest, Dr. William Crow, who is the director of Lehigh University Art Galleries, as well as a professor of practice at Lehigh. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we're we're big fans of the arts, of course, here at No Rain Date and the local art scene, especially. So we definitely wanted to talk about, you know, the arts at Lehigh and the galleries and and the events and because you are a big player on the local art scene, of course. I wanted to start off by talking about your background a little bit and how you developed an interest in in the arts and how you ultimately came to work at Lehigh. Sure, I'd be happy to talk about that. I'm I'm not originally from this area, although I'm, I've really fallen in love with it. I have to say, I think the Lehigh Valley is really a special place. But I'm, I'm originally from a tiny town in Virginia, in southwestern Virginia near Roanoke in mm-hmm. Blue Ridge Mountains, which is a beautiful spot, but uh, not so many museums <laughs> or arts and culture, really where I grew up. But, you know, I I really was always interested in making things and creating things, you know, making models and sketches and 
you know, trying to assemble all kinds of things in my parents' yard. (laughs) (laughs) And I I really didn't even understand that that could be art until relatively late when I was in high school and had a fantastic art teacher in high school who really introduced me to the whole world of art and artists. So yeah, so then really after college, moved up to New York and worked as an artist for a few years and doing some other things. I I taught for a while at a high school, not far from the Lehigh Valley, actually in New Jersey, in Morristown, but then kind of slowly started finding my way into museums and museum work. And then just three years ago, started at Lehigh. And so I'm really, really excited to be here. Fantastic. I'm always curious to know, like when people talk about their, their development and their career in the arts, like, did you receive encouragement? Because I know like a lot of times there's a perception that it's very difficult to make a living, you know, working in the arts. Mm -hmm. Is that something that that you benefited from? I I agree. You know, I think it can be challenging because most of the time when you go into, you know, any number of fields, they sometimes are not financial, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, you know, places where you're getting a lot of rewards on the financial side. But I, you know, and and in fact, when I was in college, I was in art denial for a while. I think I was, I was listening very closely to voices telling me I should do the sure thing and I should do something very secure and stable and I should follow a path that most people were following. And, you know, honestly, I, I feel like if you have the desire and the passion to pursue your art, no matter what your art might be. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can't really outrun it. You know, it, it will emerge sooner or later. <laughs> and right. so and so by the time I left college, I, I knew that art was really what I wanted to do. And so I, I've really been pursuing that my whole life. That's a great way of, of explaining it. And I, I totally agree with that. You, you can't really yeah. stifle your inner desire to be an artist if that's what your passion is so that's great that that you were able to develop that when you arrived at lehigh in 2018 well let's start with like sort of like a broad you know explanation of the gallery system at lehigh and what does it encompass you know how i know you have a collection that includes thousands of pieces like what what types of art and you know artists are included among the collections sure we are very fortunate to have a remarkable art collection at lehigh we now have over seventeen thousand works of art from diverse time periods and cultures so everything from ceremonial masks from west africa to contemporary photography from Latin America to ancient Chinese ceramics to French Impressionist paintings. So, you know, it's really a remarkable collection that, of course, can be explored through the lens of art and art history, but it's also a place where really no matter what your interests are, you can find something that engages you. You know, if you're more interested in history or or maybe you're really interested in materials that people used in different time periods or different techniques and so the galleries are lehigh's art museum and we're completely free and open to the public 
in between academic semesters or open by appointment, which can be its own fantastic way of seeing the galleries. You can just reach out to us at luag.org and we'd be happy to welcome you into the galleries. But our primary exhibition times are during the fall and spring academic semesters. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you can come explore the galleries on your own and at your own pace, or also take advantage of some great free programs and events that we always have going on. Oh, okay. So, okay. I was thinking the, the appointments were sort of related to COVID, but that's actually normally the case yeah. in summer that you make well, an appointment you, you know it's i think a lesson that we have taken away from covid you know i think a lot of well gosh just about everywhere right from restaurants to museums to other workplaces have kind of gone through the ebb and flow over the past year of having to be open or closed or by appointment Mm-hmm. And the art galleries at Lehigh traditionally have been closed over the summer months and over the winter break when school's not in session. But what we're finding is that actually it's a great opportunity to simply, you know, make appointments available during those times when we're closed. And it can really be a once in a lifetime experience to have a museum all to yourself. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. we're really excited to continue to offer that for people to enjoy the art galleries that way. Right. Well, let's, while we're on that subject, let's kind of go back in time to, you know, when the COVID pandemic began and, and there was a lot of uncertainty about being in public spaces, of course, at that time. And and museums were actually, as I recall, one of the most restricted categories of institutions, which made me sad because there's such a, you know, so much educational benefit from museums that we didn't want to lose. But I know you adapted by bringing things online. Can you Talk about how you did that and how challenging or easy, hopefully, that was to pivot and, and bring the art online. Sure, I'm happy to talk about that. It's, it's true. As a museum, we're, we're pretty invested in direct experiences with original objects in physical spaces. But, you know, in March of last year, when the pandemic really hit and Everyone was assessing what they should do, and of course universities and museums were part of that. You know, it became really clear that for safety's sake, we needed to close our doors physically. But, you know, we were very well positioned, I have to say, to make that transition. We had just relaunched our website in November of 2019. Many thanks to the fantastic web designers and developers at Lehigh. Mm -hmm. And so we had already embarked on placing the collection online through our website. And in fact, as of today, we have over 3,000 works of art from our collection that you can access at your fingertips through Mm -hmm. our website. But we we also immediately transitioned our in-person education programs and tours and events to an online Zoom-based format. And we, of course, learned a lot, like a lot of people who shifted into those modes. But we also saw really great advantages. We were able to connect with visitors and alumni from the university who were really far afield, people who were living in other countries, We had a visitor joining one of our online workshops from the Aleutian Islands off the Hmm. coast of Alaska, which, you know, never would have happened before. 
you know, another thing that we discovered too is that we could teach online about our art collections, particularly with works of art that sometimes are very difficult to teach with in person. Mm. So for example, we have a fantastic etching by the American artist Thomas Hart Benton, who was an American regionalist artist in the early 20th century. But the print that we have is really quite small. It's, it's really just slightly larger than a postcard size. Mm -hmm. So we would probably never do a stop on a tour or a workshop for a group of people with that work of art. But in Zoom, of course, you can bring that image up and you can really explore it in detail. And so there were lots of advantages in some ways of shifting to an online experience. And so, so right now we're really in a moment like we all are, which is, you know, what are some things that we might take away from this experience in the pandemic and hold on to rather than just kind of returning to business as usual? Right. And and that's something I've I've heard from other art related institutions and certainly musicians yeah. that they were able yeah. to find new fans or reconnect with people that are, you know, all throughout the world now mm-hmm. due to the the zoom experience and i think that's going to stay with a lot of them are you planning to continue to offer more things online in the future we we are our plan is really to take what you might call a blended approach we're certainly going to offer some in-person experiences this fall as, as long as things continue to improve in the bigger scheme of things but we'll offer online programs, we'll be offering live streamed events and programs occasionally through our social media, which is LU Art Galleries on Instagram, Twitter, or Lehigh University Art Galleries on Facebook. And so we really think, you know, people enjoy having a variety of experiences that all have value in different ways. Sometimes if it's getting ready to, to snow two feet outside, we might <laughs> revisit some of our Zoom techniques and online programs rather than the challenges of an in-person experience. So we're, we're excited to explore all those different paths. That's a great point too. The weather and, and countless other things besides a pandemic can certainly right. um, affect people's ability to physically go to a gallery. So, right. so, so that could be really useful. You've also brought the art outside, and, and I'm sure this has happened before COVID, too. I mean, you have sculpture outside at Lehigh and that type of thing, but the exhibit that is currently along the South Bethlehem Greenway called Doing Democracy really caught my eye because I drive Green. along 4th Street, or 3rd Street, rather, regularly, and uh, it consists of some remarkable images of civil rights history in the U.S. and Mm -hmm. and other important historic events. Can you talk about the evolution of this exhibit? And it's actually almost ending, so if you need to get, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's through August 1st, but it's it's really well done, I think. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you've been enjoying the images on the South Bethlehem Greenway. Exactly, we had been planning to do an exhibition that would coincide with the fall 2020 U.S. presidential election. We knew that that would be a topic Mm -hmm. (laughs) that everyone would be talking about, no matter what your political beliefs. 
Right. And so actually the semester before, in the spring of 2020, we worked with a fantastic group of Lehigh undergraduate students from really a wide range of majors, from political science and journalism and communication to art, architecture and design to engineering. And we worked with the students to select photographs from Lehigh's perm collection, as well as themes and writing the labels for those works of art that would really capture many different ways that we can experience democracy in all its forms. So as you mentioned, whether it is a, a protest as part of the civil rights movement or political figures and leaders in a moment of decision making or sometimes too kind of everyday Americans that are experiencing things that are, are both the everyday but can be political activities in and of themselves. And so we, we wanted students to really have the experience of deep engagement with these great works of art and images, but of course to also be immersed in a topic that was very relevant to our lives, you know, certainly was one of the most contentious election cycles in recent history. And so when, when COVID hit <laughs> in March of 2020, we, we knew that we were going to need to shift gears a bit. So our curatorial work with students immediately shifted online. So we continued that work with them in Zoom. We continued to plan the in-person exhibition that happened in our main gallery within Zollner Art Center on campus during both the fall and the spring semesters this past year. But we also were presented with this great opportunity to do an outdoor exhibition with thanks to our friends and partners at the Southside Arts District with mm -hmm. uh, Missy Hartner, who is the, Hartney, excuse me, the director of that. Missy came to us and said, you know, I'm, I'm really exploring this idea of putting these billboards of artwork on the South Bethlehem Greenway so that we have a type of urban arts trail or outdoor museum. And of course, we seize that opportunity to do that. And so you're right, these, these images, the reproductions of 22 of the photographs are on view through August 1st. And when you explore them, if you're walking by or skateboarding by, you can also point your smartphone at a QR code at each of the images, and it'll take you to more information and a student-produced video about that image that you can learn more about. So we've, we've had great response from everyone, and in fact, we're really excited to revive this idea of an outdoor exhibition this fall. So this is another takeaway from the pandemic. We're going to be doing an outdoor version of our fall, one of our fall exhibitions called Thinking Through Drawing. Mm -hmm. And we'll be having some different images on the Greenway of works of art from Lehigh's collection, but also drawings that were contributed by artists in our own community. So we're really excited to feature that in the fall. So be on the lookout for that starting in September. Awesome. Yeah, that's I, I love that it's a win-win, I think, because well, like you said, yeah. it's interactive, and I love that. It, it takes the, the images to another level to have that ability to, to learn more about their history. But it's also bringing more people to the Greenway, which is a great resource. Yeah. It's helping to showcase that and get people outside, get people moving. So it, it, it yeah. accomplishes a lot of things. 
Oh, that's great. I'm so glad you say that. I, you know, museums, sometimes people think of museums as dusty warehouses filled with things and cases. And, you know, museums are really redefining what they are, you know, and that includes breaking outside of their physical spaces and into more digital spaces. And so we really believe that at the Lehigh University Art Galleries that Museums are not just about being a place, but really about being a, a way of thinking and interacting in the world. So we've been really excited about it. Right. And certainly, too, I, I think in terms of the college setting, well, even though this is off campus, politics and colleges sort of go hand in hand. So, <laughs> so I mean, that is something that, that I, th- I think, you know, I enjoyed that aspect of it and revolutionary change, you know, type of yeah. symbolism. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and, you know, I think we are in a moment where we, we need more spaces for people to have critical conversations, you know, where people can express their ideas and their opinions and they can really listen to one another deeply. And I think museums are really one of the few places that are positioning themselves as platforms for people to really come and experience things and talk about them and and disagree sometimes too. I think sometimes we're in a moment where we're all very ready to kind of retreat to our corners and be very comfortable with our own views. And I think museums are spaces where we can try on different things and we can try to understand different people's perspectives. And I, I think we, we all need more of that now. That's absolutely true. And I certainly hope that this exhibit and others will achieve that. I, I believe that, you know, the, the likelihood of having a dialogue with someone who has different political views is far greater standing in front of an image you know, in person yeah. than on Facebook or any other yeah. online space. Yeah, it's true. I mean, oh, I know. I mean, as much as I, I use social media just like many other people, but I feel like, gosh, we're so quick to get into an online confrontation with someone on Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think sometimes having an experience with a work of art or a photograph that's outside of yourself that you can talk about in a more low stakes way with someone who maybe you don't even know or someone who has a really different opinion from you. I think there's so much possibility for us all to build greater empathy for one another, to listen to one another and to to use that really as a spark or a catalyst for us to hopefully have more mutual understanding. So we're really to be one of those spaces for, for everyone. Absolutely. In terms of other upcoming exhibits, I was on looking at your website and I saw opening August 23rd, you have an exhibit, Hear Me Roar, Women Photographers. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? We do. Well, photography, since we were just speaking about the exhibition Doing Democracy, which is photographs as well, photography is really our largest collecting area at the Lehigh University Art Galleries. We have several thousand photographs by different photographers, different time periods, some of them 
from the 19th century that show the legacy and the history of photography to very contemporary works and, and even video and time-based media. So this exhibition called Here Me War features photographs made by women, and we are very fortunate that we have a wide range of artists and photographers who happen to be women who really explore issues of identity and community and politics and power. Lehigh also happens to be celebrating its 50th anniversary of admitting women as a co-ed institution. And so we mounted this exhibition as a way to spotlight that great landmark of having 50 years of women at Lehigh. And so actually there will be a whole series of events and many of these public events to celebrate 50 years of women at Lehigh. So we're really excited about that exhibition. Wow. It's a great milestone. And at the same time, I'm thinking, only 50 years. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, exactly. But it, it's exciting. Like, I've, I've been really lucky to be in touch with some alumni who, you know, women who were among the first in graduating classes in the mid-1970s. And it's fascinating, you know, because on the one hand, gosh, it really was not that long ago. Right. Um, and then on the other hand, you know, I think maybe... Maybe our sense of time has completely changed, especially after this year of COVID, but we can all be more reflective about, you know, what's changed and what stayed the same. Right. I think that's definitely part of it, too. I know my my sense of personal history is a little bit warped <laughs> because of COVID. Yeah. And things that happened <laughs> yeah. before it seemed... Us, absolutely. Yeah, seem like so far in the past, but they're really not. And then lots of things from last year I can't even really remember because there was no, like, there's no mental, you know, milestones or touchstones right. to really... It's true. Uh, it's true. We've kind thoughts. of lost all of those, all those markers. Yeah. Exactly. What you just said about the upcoming exhibit, Hear Me Roar, leads me to another question that I wanted to touch on. In terms of, well, obviously, the Lehigh community is a diverse community, and so is the yeah. Bethlehem community and the Lehigh Valley. How do you work or plan exhibits to make sure that they're representative of diversity and inclusivity? Yeah. yeah, this is a great question. And this this is one that museums, but frankly, all organizations are grappling with. You know, I think increasingly, museums are, are really trying to do the daily and lifelong work of being places that work with different communities rather than trying to do things for communities. I think museums, like a lot of places, made a lot of missteps for a long time because they thought, well, here's what we think is best for someone else without asking them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really to be a good neighbor and a good community member, it often starts with asking what people need and what people are interested in and what excites them. So we have embarked, and actually at the art galleries in writing a strategic plan over the next five years that includes how do we include our community in different ways. One way that we started doing that this past spring is by having what we call the community think tank, where we invited and actually paid community members to join us for some brainstorming sessions about 
our exhibitions and our programs and how we might make things more relevant and more impactful to them. And that's an approach that we really want to grow. We certainly have our own ideas and we have our own expertise of the art galleries, but we also are fortunate that everyone in our community has their own kinds of expertise. You know, we live in a place where when I walk around the south side of Bethlehem or the Saucon Valley, I hear different languages being spoken. I hear people who have come from different places that are bringing that culture to all of their experiences. And so I think that there's a lot that we can learn as an institution. And I also think that part of being a national research university, as Lehigh is, it's a place where there's so much possibility to intermingle what's happening on campus with what's happening here in our local community. And, and to me, like that's the real value proposition of living in a community that has those kinds of resources together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What yeah. you just said makes me think of all the beautiful murals, too, on the south side now. Oh, yeah. Which are... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I grew up on the south side, and, and that none of that existed at that time. The, right. the art was probably limited to the sculptures that you would see like on the Lehigh campus. There wasn't much public art beyond that. Yeah. And no, it's, it's true. I mean, every, every block that one walks on now in Bethlehem and really the greater Lehigh Valley, there's just more for public art. We're really fortunate at Lehigh, too, that we have over 50 outdoor sculptures on Lehigh's three campuses. And, you know, those are completely accessible to anyone who would like to enjoy them. In fact, we just launched a new interactive map of the sculptures. Hmm. So when you go to Lehigh's website and you go to the interactive campus map, you'll find there's a, a menu on the left side of the, the map that says art on campus. And you can click on that and it will bring up 30 of our sculptures that you can explore. And actually for most of them, you can watch a short video created by Lehigh students about that particular sculpture. And so, you know, of course you can do that from home or you can do it on your phone. You can also do it through Lehigh's app called the Hawk Watch app. That's a free app you can download. So we're really excited about that too, especially as we all kind of physically re-emerge onto campus. It's a really exciting way to explore art that happens to be outdoors. Right. No, thank you for for mentioning that. I'm definitely going to check that out. And also the fact that the art is not, well, obviously a lot of it is on the main campus, but you have three campuses, including Mountaintop and Goodman, which is right outside Hellertown, actually. So we can, you know, Saucon Valley can enjoy a lot of this art sort of in their own backyard. Exactly, exactly. Getting back to the idea of community and art bridging sort of the gaps or some of the gaps between Lehigh and and the Bethlehem area, I'm sure that COVID impacted your ability to, you know, bring school groups in or, or anything like that. But are you involved with education, say, like in Southside schools in any way? 
exposing kids to we, the arts? We, we are. And in fact, we are really close partners with the Bethlehem Area School District, but also other schools, independent schools, parochial schools, home schools in Bethlehem and the, the greater Lehigh Valley. We, you know, we, we really see the art galleries at Lehigh as a critical place for students and families to take advantage of this great art collection. So, you know, we feel a, a great responsibility to really maximize the public value of these collections. So we have had some K-12 school groups coming through the galleries. Even this summer, we've been fortunate to have some summer school groups coming through, some camp groups. And so we'd be delighted if any of your listeners happen to work with young people or teach in a homeschool setting or other community groups, we'd be delighted to have you come visit. And so there's actually a, a link on our website at luag.org where you just go to visit and it asks you if you'd like to come on a group visit. There's just a, a short form that you fill out and we'd be happy to arrange that. That's fantastic. I love that that you have that and and I'm a big believer in the you know partnership between educators and galleries and and museums just because so many kids aren't fortunate enough to grow up in households in which you know a weekend trip to the museum is something that mom and dad will plan so right. it's true and you know we are so lucky that at the Lehigh University Art Galleries and we have this fantastic collection, but it's also the size museum where you can come spend an hour or an hour and a half or two hours, and you can really explore a great deal of art. While big museums definitely have their place, and I, I'm a, an advocate for visiting any kind of museum, you know, coming to an academic museum, a campus-based museum like Lehigh's, really has a lot of advantages. We're completely free. You can come and explore. And of course, you can save parts of it for when you come back the next time. So so we really hope that everyone will come visit us and explore and see what Lehigh Art Galleries has to offer. And that's a great point, too. I mean, you know, when people are thinking about museums, they think of, you know, the Metropolitan Museum and, and you know, these world famous institutions and of course they're deservedly world famous but you know if if everybody's going to see the new exhibit there it can be overwhelming you know and it can be difficult to sort of focus on the art when there are so many people around and you might have you might just have like a more meaningful experience you know in a smaller setting especially if you're like an introverted person like me that could be a, a benefit Oh yeah, I I completely understand that. I, ooh, I, as much as I love going to big museums, I have been swept away by <laughs> big crowds of people at certain points. Or, you know, it's it's tough to kind of keep your energy level up sometimes, or to even find the exit uh, sometimes. Right. So, you know, I I think it's a really wonderful opportunity if if you haven't been to the art galleries at Lehigh. I would encourage all of your listeners to come come visit us and check us out, and we'd love to hear from, from everyone. Definitely. In the news section on your website, I read a bit about a recent gift 
that the Lehigh University Art Galleries received of $5 million. This was from Kenneth R. Woodcock, who's class of 1965 from Lehigh. Certainly, that's a very generous gift. And I was curious to know how is money like that spent? Are you actively acquiring new pieces? Is that going to be towards going towards programming? Because that's quite a, quite a generous gift. Yeah, no, we're, we're very fortunate. Ken Woodcock has been a great friend to Lehigh and to the art galleries at Lehigh. And you're right, this is a, a $5 million gift that goes toward an endowment that actually is a very flexible endowment, which for museums or really any nonprofit or organization is really critical. You know, we've, we've all learned the lesson over this past year with COVID, how critical it is to have flexibility and mm-hmm. to be able to shift gears or to move certain resources from one bucket to another, depending on what the needs are. And Ken Woodcock is one of those visionary philanthropists who understands that. And so this endowment really will support us in any number of areas, from staffing to exhibitions to education programs, really depending on what the future needs are of the art galleries. So we're, we're very fortunate in that way. Great. Well, that's, yeah, flexibility is, is certainly a good thing, I would imagine, with any anything like that, because it opens up a lot of possibilities. It's true. And we, you know, while we have overall a modest budget, we're always looking for more support at the art galleries. You know, we are really prioritizing how can we engage with the different communities that we serve. And so, You know, we have programs that are free. We have monthly drop-in programs for families. We have evening events and receptions. And I should mention, we have a new program that's coming up that actually just launched this month, which is a membership program. And while it will certainly remain the case that we're free and open to the public, and many of our events will be free, if you're interested in becoming more engaged with the art galleries, you can become a member for as little as $20 a year and have access to special behind-the-scenes events and tours and guest speakers and artists. And so we're really excited about this new membership program. And, and that is also on our website at luag.org under support membership. So we, we hope that some of your listeners will consider becoming a member at the art galleries and get to know our collections and our programs even better. Right. Certainly. Yeah. $20 a year is, is not a, not a huge amount for, you know, additional exposure to the arts. If that's something yeah, important exactly. to you. Yeah. I, I want to learn more about that. And, and I'm excited that, that was super. you have <laughs> that. Great. Yeah. So luag.org is, is the main website. Do you have anything like a newsletter for people to stay connected we, we with? We do. During the academic year, we have a, a weekly email, actually, that goes out. And in the summer, we shift to every other week. Okay. Um, but you can sign up for that right on our website. And at the bottom of the page at luag.org, you can join our email list. You can also follow us on social media LU Art Galleries on Instagram and Twitter or Lehigh University Art Galleries on Facebook. 
we're very active on all of those channels and so would love to have your listeners follow us and be a part of our online community too so so those are some ways to get engaged great well thank you for sharing all that information and i would encourage our listeners of course to follow you on social media and sign up for the newsletter as we'll be doing I feel like we just scratched the surface here with, you know, talking about a subject that's close to my heart, and we would love to perhaps have you back again, maybe to talk about a particular exhibit at some point or other things that you have planned, because there's a lot going on with the arts at Lehigh. Oh, I, I would be happy to, really, anytime, and... You know, I am no stranger to Hellertown. I'm driving through just about every day and am really enjoying that community, too. I have been um, uh, now a regular customer at Sailor's oh, okay. and the bakery across the street and, of course, Limon Turkish Restaurant. Mm, so I'm, yes. I'm slowly eating my way across <laughs> Hellertown, I think, but uh, <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. We have great restaurants here, great businesses. We need a, we need a little yeah. more, like, public art, so maybe you can help me with that. Like, see a few walls around that could use murals, but... <laughs> but yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and you know, we're just around the corner from you all. I think it's maybe a five-minute, ten-minute oh, drive. yeah over to our, our main gallery in Zolner Art Center. We're at 420 East Packer Avenue. And so, you know, there's easy street parking and there's also metered parking in the Zolner garage. And so looking forward to, to getting to meet more people in the Saucon Valley. Come see us. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Dr. William Crow, for joining us and keep Great. doing what Thanks you're so doing. Much for having and me. Yes, absolutely. We encourage everybody to visit the galleries at Lehigh and, and just to partake in the arts whenever they can. Exactly. Thanks so much. Take care. Sure. And looking forward to seeing you at the galleries. We've been recording No Rain Date since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.